Well, good morning and happy Easter. I think I just need a moment to take it in. This is, I've waited two years for this sanctuary to look like this. Judith and I were visiting uh, last night, just before the vigil, and she was telling me about a tradition in the Greek Orthodox Church where priests will begin their Easter sermons with a joke, and so I thought I would try that on for size. (laughs) A man walks into a library, and he asks the librarian, do you have any books on paranoia? She says, yes, of course. And then she leans in close and says, they're right behind you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you would have asked me when I was growing up, what is the biggest day in the church? What is the absolute most important time, the, the feast, the, uh, the time where we gather, that, that all the attention should be there? The truth is, is that my Sunday school teachers and the preachers that I had grown up with, they had told me it was Easter, but if you asked me as a child, I would have answered Christmas. I would have answered Christmas because as children, I think that uh, we put more value into actions and what we see than what people who are a little bit older than us tell us. And while Easter was told to me as though it was the most important, it felt as though we put the most importance on Christmas. A month before there are decorations going up before Christmas, a month before there is a special radio station that plays Christmas music. I know of no Easter station that plays Easter music a month out. The neighborhoods are filled with lights and decorations. My parents bought me gifts. We bought gifts for other families. We gathered together in at least three big dinners with family and loved ones. And when it came time for Easter, it was a bit more self-contained. It was more a day. And sometimes it felt like only a few hours of one specific day. We might have bought a new outfit to wear to church. There might be some pastel colors, some bright colors out, some signs that say, He is risen. We got a little basket of candy and we hunted some eggs But then it was kind of over, just like that, even before we knew it. And so this year, I have been thinking a little bit about how we remember and celebrate Easter. And not only Easter, but the events that lead up to Easter Sunday. I've been thinking a lot about Holy Week. And the question that I have been asking myself is, is the way that we celebrate and remember these events, does it actually resemble the historical events that we are remembering. The truth is, is that our lives are, for the most part, very comfortable. We can come to church for an hour or an hour and a half or on a really good vigil, two hours, and we can be here and we can reflect on lessons and we can gather together with other people who are comfortable and we can, for a moment, enter into the story and then, of course, we return to our homes that are comfortable and air-conditioned. We are not afraid for our lives. We are not worried for the most part. And yet, 
When you really think about the Easter story and the events that led up to it, this story reads more like a murder mystery or a true crime podcast than it does like the fairy tale that we kind of make it out to be. I want you to think about the first Easter and the 72 hours before it. For those who endured it, the first Easter was a whirlwind, a roller coaster of emotion. It started around a table, and there were these disciples, and they were gathered together with their teacher, who they had been following after for almost three years. All of them believed that this Messiah was going to change the entire world, not just their small group. He wasn't just going to be some teacher that gave some lessons and performed some miracles, but he was really going to upend the world. They expected the kingdom of God. They expected for Roman rule to disappear. They expected for their lives to change. And they could not predict, and I guess they probably couldn't have imagined, how the next 72 hours actually would go. They found themselves around this table and they were eating and drinking and laughing and probably telling jokes better than the one that I started with. And they were enjoying each other's company and they were arguing over who is the greatest or who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And just that conversation in itself reveals to us that these individuals, even though they had walked with Jesus for almost three years, they still really had no concept or idea where this journey was taking them. Jesus broke bread with them and shared wine, and then he took a towel and he got down on the floor and he began to wash their feet. And he told them that they needed to do this for each other and that actions like this, washing feet, would be the way that the world would know that they were his disciples because they loved one another. And then dinner was over, and a few of them retreated to the Mount of Olives to pray, and Jesus there was in agony, agony to the point where he was sweating like drops of blood, and he was begging his father to let this cup pass from him, and his disciples were just a little ways away, falling asleep, and I can't blame them, because they didn't know, and they didn't understand I think about the important moments in my life where I did not understand the gravity as I was moving towards the event. I really could not understand it until after it had passed. Three times they fall asleep, and Jesus asks, can you not stay with me just one hour? And finally, he finishes praying and tells them to follow him down to the base of the mountain. And this is where the story really begins to go sideways. There they are met by Judas, who will betray Jesus, a group of high priests and guards who will arrest Jesus. Jesus will be falsely accused. He will be tried unjustly. His clothes will be stolen and gambled over. He will be hung on a cross next to two common criminals. And just before this, the people have an opportunity to free him. And instead of freeing him, they choose to free a man named Barabbas, who was an insurrectionist, a murderer, and a bandit. That must have felt like the the biggest betrayal in the midst of all of this. And then everyone that Jesus knew, who had been close to him, 
who believed that they would follow him to the very end, had left him. Judas had betrayed him. Peter had denied him. The other disciples were hiding for fear of their own life. And only John and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and a select other few were gathered around the foot of the cross as Jesus finished his work and his calling and said, it is finished, and breathed his last breath and gave up the ghost. And then 72 hours. This must have been the longest 72 hours in history. Because unlike us today who know the story, who know that Easter is coming, who don't worry or fret too much because we know in just a few days we'll be standing up here going, Alleluia, Christ is risen. But these people did not know this. And they left that place with a total mystery. Had they followed the wrong person? Had they hitched their wagon to the wrong star? Had all of this just been a mistake? Had they taken just a short vacation from their regular lives? And would they need to go back to being fishermen or whatever it was that they did before they started following Jesus? And where we pick up the story today is in the midst of this unknowing. And we encounter a select few disciples who are at the grave of Jesus. Mary is the first to arrive, and she finds that the stone has been rolled away and that the body is missing. And she is unsure what to do. She is beside herself. As I read this passage this week, I am reminded of a few years ago, Laura's grandfather passed away, and the family had purchased these solar lights to go around his grave. And we had went back to the grave to visit him and found that someone had stolen these little solar lights. And it felt like the greatest disrespect to steal these little $20 lights that had probably been purchased at Lowe's, and yet his body was still there. I want you to think about for a minute what it would be like to bury your loved one and then to return to their place of resting and to find their body missing or the urn gone. Mary runs to the other disciples and tells them what she has seen. And Peter takes off running, and he makes it all the way to the tomb, but he does not enter. And John, who is trying to keep up, runs past him, and it says that he goes into the tomb, and he finds the linen wrappings and the, and the cloths laid there neatly, and he sees, and he believes. And Mary is still outside, and she is weeping. She is wondering where they have laid her Lord, where they have taken him. And she encounters a man who she believes to be the gardener, and she does not know that it is Jesus until he calls her by name. My friends, this is the Easter story. A story that takes us outside of the tomb. A story that leaves us a bit in the dark, wondering where is this Jesus that we have followed? And someone asked me recently, about a week ago, Josh, what in the world? How in the world do you preach on the same gospel text each year and have something new to say? And the truth is, we don't. I have nothing new to tell you today. 
The Easter story is still the Easter story, the same as it has always been, and we need to hear it again and again and again, and not just once a year. We need to hear it every single week because every Sunday is a little Easter, because this is the story that our community is gathered around, a story about resurrection, a story about coming back to life. And too often, this story is reduced down to bumper stickers and slogans about he is risen, but it's more than that. It's more than that. This is not a story about my own personal comfort or my own personal salvation. This is not a story about me finally granting or getting my own personal security and no longer having to worry about this life or the next. The gospel is not about comfort It's not about security. It's not about personal salvation. The Easter story is about waking up. It's about resurrection life. And Christmas, Christmas is a story about how incarnate love comes into the world, about what that looks like. It's about finding our own invitation and calling to join Jesus in being this incarnate love. But Easter... Easter is the explanation of what it looks like, of how to do it, of how to actually live out this calling that you and I have been given. And so we stand here this morning outside of the tomb, and we know that no one has taken this body, but he is risen, and we are invited into this risen life, this resurrection life, and we are asked to join God in being incarnate love, Wherever we are at, looking at the face of your neighbor, wherever you live or wherever you work, this is where you will encounter him. In places that you do not expect and you did not predict, if you just listen carefully enough, you might mistake it for the gardener, but you will hear Jesus' voice call your name. And so, my friends, let us join Jesus in this Easter story. Let us become incarnate love And let us live a life of sacrifice, not a pursuit of our own salvation, but of laying down our own life for the good of others and for the life of the world. Amen. I invite you to stand if that is comfortable and let us affirm our faith together. We believe.